Fence, family, and emp, our empowerment. Uh, those are the big, those are the big three. And we went over last week that as we grow, when the church evolves from being a house church or a church in a house to being a larger church, we'll have our you know weekend service, and that will be the time where the highest priority is that everybody that comes through the doors encounters the presence of God, encounters Jesus, gets healed, gets saved, gets delivered, experiences his love, experiences his peace, all the stuff that we experience here in his presence. And then we want to move people into family, that they don't just encounter God, but that they also encounter people. And last week, we, I emphasized very strongly that size does not determine whether your church is a family or not. That's right. uh, heart, hearts determine whether your church experience is a family or not. House churches are not are not automatically more family than a mega church. It's a heart issue. So we want to move people into life groups or small groups or home groups or whatever we decide to call them, where. We won't just have a Sunday morning or whatever, you know, weekend service, big corporate worship experience, but then we'll also have the small. All the stuff we've been practicing here, like, surprise, you've all been in leadership training for when we have home groups. <laughs> through <laughs> experiencing, through being a part of what we do here in this small environment, this is training for when you will have your own home group or help somebody with a home group. Praise God. And, it, you know, if that's not you, that's fine too, but... It is a lot of you, probably. Because we'll need it. Like, as we grow, people are going to come in with needs, and they're going to come in needing discipled. They're going to come in needing taught, right? And we get to all help make disciples as people come into our world. And then the empowerment aspect is moving people from that presence experience on Sunday morning to a family in a home group or a life group <coughs> to being empowered to do ministry, in the, both within the quote-unquote four walls of the church and also outside. And that would look like, you know, all the aspects of church life, whether you're a greeter. I mean, we want our greeters to move in the prophetic. We want our greeters to move in healing, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as somebody is like, they're not even in the door yet, and they're getting ministered to. Yeah. They're not just, it's not just a smiling face. It's an empowered believer that's ready to minister, you know, somebody comes in limping and they get healed on their way in because the greeter is like, hey, what's going on there? Can I pray for you? Boom, they get healed. Worship hasn't even started yet. So greeters, ushers, children's ministry, you know, worship team, audio video, life group leaders, outreach leaders, you know, all the good stuff that happens in the local church. That is what I mean by ministry teams. Um, it's not necessarily the people, you know, at the altar ministering to people after the service, but it <coughs> includes that. And we want people engaged at all three levels, the weekend service, the home group, and serving on some sort of ministry team because that creates an environment where they can grow, where they can be discipled and grow into their calling and destiny in the Lord. Mm-hmm. We want every individual, as many as people as possible, engaged, fully engaged be- for their benefit and for the benefit of the larger body. Because it's not just about you, it's about all of us mm-hmm. making a difference in our region. Amen. Amen? I want everybody to find their individual 
<clears throat> passion for their life? Like what, what makes you come alive in Christ? Like what, when you think about it, makes you weep? When you pray, it moves your heart. What like gets your brain just thinking of ideas and you just get excited? Like what, what is it that Jesus has put inside of you? I want you to find that for your own life. I also want you to find that in the context of our body because it's about the body. We're so, like, our tendency in America is to be so individual-oriented. Discover your calling. Discover you. Take your personality test. Find out who you are. You, you, you. Me, me, me. It is not just about you. And it is not just about me. Your calling is never just about you. It's about who you're connected, who you are, who you are pursuing your calling with. It's about serving something bigger than yourself. Like we're a team. You know, we're a family, and we've got a family business called the kingdom, largely expressed through face-to-face church, but also through you know, you know, your life, the other six and a half days a week. So I want you to have clarity for your own life, but I also want, I would love for every person who's connected to us to find something like in our world that you just go, oh, that like really grabs me. You know, like I'm praying for somebody to join that has a passion for youth, for teenagers that can lead a youth group that changes our local high schools. Praying for the rest of the worship team. Like, as you know, I'm spending, you know, last week, this week, and next week on, you know, church vision. And I want to talk about an aspect of that. I had a dream when I was, I was probably 18 or 19 years old. Um, so that was like four years ago. Um, <laughs> I had a dream that I was on, a mission trip to Morocco for some reason. I think I had just heard a speaker from Morocco or something. And I, on this trip, I, uh, we were about to do like street evangelism. And I had just heard from the speaker that Morocco was like, you know, a half of a percent Christian, maybe like hard, quote unquote, hard for the gospel. Um, and half of the team went out on the street to minister to people. And half of the team stayed inside this building and just had a prayer meeting praying for the people that are out on the street and the people out on the street were seeing incredible things happen. They were seeing deliverances and they were seeing amazing stuff. And I knew coming, coming out of the dream, I knew that the prayer inside the house was what was fueling the power outside the house. And that is my whole message. But the prayer is the fire that fuels everything else. That's the whole message. That's what I'm going, that's what I am about to tell you in my message. Isaiah 56, uh, 6 and 7, Jesus says, uh, or not Jesus, Isaiah, God through Isaiah says, you know, even them I'll bring to my holy mountain. I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer because my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. When Jesus cleansed the temple in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're in there, the money changers were in there taking advantage of people. Jesus came in and drove them all out. What did he say? He said, my house will be called a house of prayer.
for all nations. My house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus never called his church the house of preaching or the house of fellowship or the house of whatever, fill in the blank. He called it a house of prayer. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. <coughs> and over these last couple of weeks, I have repented and changed the way I'm repenting. Repentance meaning changing the way you think. Changed my emphasis level on prayer in the context of church, of our church. We have not done very many corporate prayer meetings in the last two to three years that we've had face-to-face church. But that is changing because it prayer really, really matters. Mm-hmm. Really, really big deal. And I even love, I mentioned this on Wednesday after our prayer time, like I even love the really dry, boring prayer meetings because I know that we're just choosing to sow. Sometimes when you spend time with God, you're sowing and sometimes you're reaping. Mm-hmm. If I can put it in those terms, like if you're just spending time with God, or if you're praying and you don't feel anything, like that's a great time to just sow. Continue to intercede. <coughs> Continue to wait on the Lord, even though you're not feeling anything. Because the time will come when he does visit you and you, you receive the harvest of what you were sowing in prayer. So like the dry prayer meetings, man, that's, that's cool. Because I know that we're sowing into a harvest. <coughs> we're sowing into a harvest that's going to come eventually. It's a great time to just shift your thinking beyond out of the consumer sort of mentality of I'm coming here for what I can get right now. Mm-hmm. Like we need to think bigger, we need to think longer term, and we need to think outside of ourselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these next two prayer meetings, we're not going to pray for face to face church at all. We're just going to pray out. We'll pray for other churches in the region, we'll pray for the nations, we will pray for. You know, our new president will pray for whatever comes to mind. But one of these next two, Wednesday or Saturday, we're just not going to pray for anybody in the room. And we're not going to pray for the church. We're just going to pray out. You know, because we need to shift. I want to shift our thinking bigger and more outward. So Acts one fourteen. Acts one fourteen. After Jesus ascended, the disciples with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So Jesus's family and his disciples, as soon as Jesus left their first, their first order of business was to continually devote themselves to prayer. Jesus had instructed them, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And then in just wait, they didn't just wait twiddling their thumbs you know, watching TV, putzing around, hanging out, having barbecues, like, they didn't just wait uh, passively. They waited actively. They waited actively, pursuing what God was going to pour out, even though they had no idea what that was going to look like. They had an active approach to waiting on the Lord. They continually devoted themselves to prayer before they even had the Holy Spirit to energize their prayer meetings. Mm-hmm. Talk about dry. <laughs> Talk about a dry prayer meeting. They didn't even have the Holy Spirit. They couldn't even fall back on praying in tongues. <laughs> you know? 
he, we like we run out of something to pray in English. We're just like, all right, I was, I was praying in tongues. I'll turn on some worship music and pray in tongues. Praise God, like, praise God, we can do that. They couldn't even do that. You know, they had ten days waiting in the upper room. There's an expectant, active waiting. It was beautiful. And then Acts two forty two. This is after, of course, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches, three thousand people. Uh, get saved, get baptized. Uh, 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to what the apostles were teaching. They were devoted to fellowship with each other. They were devoted to breaking bread together. They were devoted to feasting. And they were devoted to prayer. Their first instinct after thou pouring the Holy Spirit we should be continually devoted to one another in fellowship, to the teaching of the apostles, and to prayer. So they had 3,000 added. They were devoted to prayer. It says in verse uh, 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The kingdom always grows. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. This is the story they're about to heal the, the lame man that was waiting at the entrance. And I, I never saw, they were headed there for prayer. They were on their way to pray. They were continually devoted to prayer. And they were going to the temple to pray. And then they saw this amazing miracle. And just another illustration just shows the lifestyle of the early church. They still prayed. They still went to the temple to pray. And then over in chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested and then released. They're like, stop preaching. Do not preach anymore in this name or there will be trouble. <coughs> they, they got in trouble. And then they called a prayer meeting afterwards. And they pray. I'll start in verse uh, 29. Together in prayer, they say, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all boldness. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They got together and prayed again. Their boldness got them in trouble, so they went and prayed for more boldness. And they prayed for the miracles, the signs and wonders to happen. So they didn't just go out and pray for the sick. They also had prayer meetings asking God to release power to heal the sick. And then they went out and did it. And they got, they got the place shook again. More angels. Filled with boldness. <laughs> Over in chapter 6, the apostles... Uh, there were some complaints about the, the serving of the, the poor, the widows, yeah. There were some complaints that the widows, some widows were being overlooked in the serving of the food. And the apostles said in verse 3, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Like the apostles said, we need to be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So it's really a mark of an apostolic group of people. 
not just the apostles. The, an apostolic group of people is devoted to prayer and to the word. So they chose the seven people, the seven uh, nominees to serve the tables. And these seven were amazing. They went on to do like incredible stuff, miracles, signs, and wonders. And in verse 6, they brought these seven before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them and commissioned them to wait tables. So they prayed again. Verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. In the context of a body of people devoted to prayer, the numbers continue to increase greatly. Flipping over to chapter 7, verse uh, 60, as Stephen is being stoned and martyred, very last thing he does, he falls on his knees, cries out with a loud voice, in other words, prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Here's a, here's, that's, that's continually devoted to prayer, right there. The last breath that Stephen took was prayer. Uh, over in chapter 9, in case you're wondering, I just went through, I'm going through uh, the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts and telling you all the references to prayer. I'm skipping a couple in chapter 8. There are some good ones there for the sake of time. Uh, in chapter 9, Saul, on his way to continue to persecute Christians, sees a blinding light, falls off his horse. And in verse 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here, here I am, Lord. The Lord gives him instructions to go to find Saul. Then he says, go to the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, Saul saw, saw you coming to him and receiving his sight back. Ananias argues with God, then eventually gives in and goes and prays for him and sees his, his uh, sight comes back. Ananias was in prayer. Saul was in prayer. Over in the end of chapter 9, Peter's out doing ministry. A disciple there who fell sick and died, they had washed her body and laid it in an upper room. And then they asked Peter to come in and pray. Uh, when Peter arrived, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that she had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And then he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So before he, before he commanded the miracle to happen, he took a moment and knelt down and prayed. And in our, in our, um, in our world, you know, we teach and believe, like, Jesus didn't tell us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. He told us to go and lay hands on the sick, and by the authority that we have, command healing to come. And I totally believe that. But it doesn't mean we don't also pray. Peter took a moment. He, it doesn't even say how long. He knelt down and prayed. And then presumably, if you can imagine the, you can picture that, like something arose, faith must have arose in his heart in that place of prayer where he could then turn and command her to arise from the dead. It was in that context of being continually devoted to prayer that he was able to then turn and release power to see the miracle. Mm -hmm. 
we're not going to have miracle power without a devoted, a life devoted to prayer individually and corporately. We will not have miracle power without a life devoted to prayer individually and corporately. We can have all the best strategies. We can read all the church growth books. We can do all the marketing. We can raise all the money. And we might be able to gather a crowd, but we won't see transformed lives without being continually devoted to prayer. Individually and corporately. If we want the fruit that's in the book of Acts, we're going to have to... I couldn't figure out a catchy way to say this. (laughs) Like something that rhymes with fruit. But like... We can't have the outward fruit that they had without having that lifestyle that they had. Especially in this area of prayer. I want to see the fruit that they saw. The church increased greatly, day by day. Numbers are being added. That's not about a church growing, but it's about the kingdom expanding. Whatever church people plug into, it's expanding. Okay? Uh, chapter 10, verse 9, Peter, well, this is after uh, Cornelius. Cornelius, the Gentile, has the visitation from the angel. The angel comes in and says, your prayer and your giving has come up before God as a memorial. So this uh, unsaved Gentile uh, ruler, it says that he, he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw in a vision an angel come in and said, your prayers and your giving have ascended as a memorial before God. So the angel in the throne room with God sees this, this smoke or this incense rising from Cornelius's house. And it's his prayer and it's his giving to the poor. It arises. And the father responds to that and says, hey, angel, go visit that house. He's praying and he's giving. Go visit him. Mm-hmm. And this moment changed world history as much as almost anything else that has happened because this is when the gospel went to the Gentiles mm-hmm. in a big way. This was the door to the Gentiles. And it started because Cornelius prayed and gave. Like Our prayer becomes this like smoke signal up to heaven that the father looks at and goes whoa there's prayer there there's sacrificial giving there of their time of their money of their affections let's go visit them Peter was staying staying in somebody's house he goes up on the rooftop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and went into a trance and saw animals and God said to kill them and eat them like God just uses everything like he was hungry so yeah he had a vision about eating okay and God used it to speak to him and uses uses that to uh, to speak to Peter about preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and he goes and does it and history has changed because Cornelius was praying and then Peter was in a place of prayer where he was receptive to a word from God to go with the people who were coming to get him and go and preach to the Gentiles Peter was pretty, even after this, Peter struggled with having prejudice against Gentiles. So the Lord really needed to get through to him. And the Lord was able to because he was in prayer. Mm -hmm. Prayer is the fire 
The lifestyle of individual and corporate prayer is the fire, is the fuel that will get everything else going. It will give life to everything else that we do. Mm-hmm. And without it, we won't experience life. Not life more abundantly like Jesus talked about. Sometimes it's dry. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's music and there's worship songs. And that's awesome. And we pray in that environment and it's wonderful. Sometimes we just get in a circle. We sit down and we just pray. We just talk to God together. And we ask him to do things. And we thank him for what he's going to do and what he's done. However we do it, let's just do it. It will be it will energize everything else. I no longer want prayer to be kind of an afterthought or something we kind of squeeze in for a few minutes before the church service starts. I'm creating space in my life for more prayer. 